Hello and welcome again to another episode of Rethinking Rehab with Dr. Shane Smith. I'm a licensed physical therapist practicing out in Naples, Florida. I'm owner of Naples Premier Physical Therapy and I've been happily helping patients get better from injury and live a more functionally enjoyable life for the last 10 years. Uh, today's podcast I thought would be a little bit more fun since this will go back down memory lane for me a little bit. Um, I have past history when I was in high school playing football, and for those that may know about Florida football, it's pretty intense, pretty um, serious. We used to be told uh, at practice the three most important things in life are your faith, your family, and your football team. Uh, school got thrown in the mix after football, but not really quite as considered as important as football. So yeah, it was uh, a big deal down here growing up playing high school football achieving uh, great goals uh, our team had set to achieve certain things we wanted to in various football seasons. We almost won a state title my sophomore year, which is a big deal in Florida since football is king down here. While I played football, we had to weight train. So I was vigorously in a weight room for four years. At the time, doing what I thought to be the most advanced kind of exercise program that we were given. As I progressed through uh, undergrad and graduate school and learned a lot more about different strength training aspects and uh, how to strength train the right way, I realized there was a lot of mistakes that I was being taught to do from a young age. And I saw different injuries that occurred while I was in the football program, which may have been preventable. So, you know, a couple of things I wanted to talk about um, today regarding exercise soreness, uh, whether or not, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness, DOMS is what it's referred to, is a good indicator for your strength training routine. Uh, are you doing everything that you should to if you are trying to get big muscle strength gains, whether it be just for personal reasons or for a sport function reason. There's a lot of things I think that were that are missed, at least that were missed for me, that may have been missed uh, for yourselves during a certain point of your exercise progression. So one of the things I wanted to start with, what is DOM? Some of you may not know what this concept is. Um, DOMS refers to delayed onset muscle soreness. It is a uh, symptom that occurs predominantly after heavy weightlifting or heavy cardio-related exercising. You could run three to five miles if you don't normally run. You could swim a mile. You could go into the gym and weight, lift weights. And there is a potential chance six to eight hours or 48 hours, which for me is always day two, um, you feel the most soreness. And many times that was a primary indicator for me when I played football in terms of are you hitting the weights hard enough? Are you training hard enough? you should be experiencing some level of soreness after your workouts, which kind of gives you that feedback of, oh, my body's so sore, it must be repairing from the damages I did working out. And even when I was in PT school, this was viewed as not necessarily a bad thing. It was viewed as a, a uh, prerequisite for hypertrophy, which is increasing size and strength of muscles. Um, however, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. I had told a patient yesterday regarding back issues that too much bracing for her back is a bad thing, but a little bit of bracing during activities isn't necessarily a bad thing. Kind of like martinis. Two martinis is great, but five, you're going to be on the floor. Um, so when we're looking at soreness, you can kind of think about it the same uh, situation. And though the common thing you will read in research regarding DOMS is they don't necessarily know exactly how or if this mechanism 
is exactly relatable to strength gains. However, uh, DOMS appears to be a product of inflammation caused by microscopic tears in connective tissues and other elements uh, that are sensitive to nerve receptors, which thereby heighten or increase the sense of soreness or pain. Uh, you're also going to get histamine, bradykinins, prostaglandins, and other chemicals that mediate this discomfort process, the soreness feeling, by acting on type 3 and type 4 nerve fibers, which are more kind of pain signaling nerve fibers uh, that go to your central nervous system. If you have increased um, pain in an area, most likely this also results in increasing vascular permeability, which allows for different white blood cells like neutrophils to get into this damaged muscle tissue and help create uh, reactive oxygen species and other uh, mediators that are needed for cleaning or, or fixing bio biochemical disruptions that you get during exercise. Um, what, what I found fascinating with recent research I was reading on this topic is that too much of a good thing is a bad thing. And what is found in some of the research is that it is important to note that excessive damage has decidedly a negative effect on exercise performance and recovery. If you're dealing with exercise-induced muscle damage, which is a byproduct of DOMS, um, it can decrease your force capacity 50%. Um, for individuals with this kind of breakdown, significant breakdown, um, we can see potential delays of full muscle recruitment again. Uh, up to three weeks and sometimes can be up to 40 days if you've had over 70% of a muscle tissue broken down, um, which can be really bad when we look at training. Um, so, you know, just some background for me, what we used to do when I played football is we'd have an hour and a half of weightlifting at the end of the day, at the end of the school day, and then it would persist over to about 30 minutes of film, rehydrating with film, and then you're out in the field doing football-related tasks. Now imagine if you just had a workout the day before or that day where your legs are just absolutely gassed. How can you expect your body's recruitment of that muscle tissue to be sufficient enough to stabilize joints like the knee joint when you're doing football-related tasks afterwards in practice? You can see that kind of connection point now poses a big problem for injury with younger athletes. It's good to train, it's good to strength train, it's good to break down tissue, have soreness, but to a certain extent. And that's one of the things I found interesting with this research, which is absolutely something that was missing in terms of my uh, strength training when I played football, is that there was never a cutoff of don't gash yourself to a certain extent. It was full tilt, balls to the wall, go, go, go. If your legs are shaky, you can hardly walk, then you're gonna be so much stronger later which we're starting to find out isn't necessarily going to be the case. And what's also great with some of the research is you don't have to push yourself to that kind of breakdown point to get strength gains, to get reactive gains that you're hoping to improve on physical strength or improve on physical function when it comes to a sport or activity that you want to be able to do. So, one, so some of the things that as I read through some of these articles today, I thought, you know, we're missing the boat on the brain. Um, most injuries become chronic or reoccurring because we haven't reconnected your brain's control to the area that was injured. So when you're looking at strength training, how often or regularly are we looking into postural recruitment, postural form aspects of a lift or some strengthening related tasks? 
you know, the brain motor connections, the most pivotal aspect of getting strength gains. If your brain can't control a muscle, who cares how strong it is? You know, I've got a son that's a little over four months old at home. So it's always fun when you got the little baybirds at home and you get to look and see how they learn to move and develop. And it's entirely neural control right now with my son. He's learning how to move his arms. He's learning how to reach and grab for things. He's learning depth perception with his eyes on where things are and how to actually get them so he can manipulate and have fun with them. And without that initial neural recruitment, it doesn't matter how strong his arms get or how strong his back gets or his core gets. He can't utilize his body right if his brain can't control it. So I feel like we don't spend enough time in a strength training setting really looking at neural recruitment getting the correct muscle activation, the timing of muscle activation right. One of the best things to do for that is just slow and steady exercises. Um, one of the things we used to do when we would go for our one rep or three rep max lift in uh, weight training is we would mentally think about the movement pattern that we were going to do before we actually did it. Sometimes I will actually take a bar when I'm doing bench with no weight on it and mentally envision I've got 155, 185 pounds on there, and to mentally think about which muscles are going to have to turn on more vigorously to get that load off of me, and practicing that on a light setting and or a slow setting to for your brain to perceive and feel that easier is going to allow for better neural recruitment when the load is placed on you. Another way you can work on this with muscle recruitment and your brain control is going to be to put a heavy load on that bar and just hold it. So just get the feel of what that weight through your arms feels like. Or if we're talking about squatting, you know, maybe 225 is your goal for squatting, but you've never squatted over 200 before. Put 225 on there, <clears throat> stand with the weight at the bar, and mentally think about what that's going to feel like dropping down parallel to the ground with your legs and the neural recruitment needed in the glutes, the quads, hamstrings to co-contract together to fire your hips forward and pull that load up. Those kind of mental planning processing ex exercises are really great fundamentally before actually trying to do a heightened load so that you know you're working the right muscles the right way. It also allows the brain some time to process what that extra weight actually feels like and what the body needs to do to safely move it. That was one of the things that I definitely did not do when I was younger is you go for a one rep, three rep max, and you're putting the high weight on you've never done before hoping to do it. And it was, oh shit, this is heavy and let's try to get it done. A lot of times I saw other players on my team hurt themselves when they were going for their one to three rep max because there was a movement pattern problem that was masked by speed. They didn't know they had until they had a higher load they could handle and then boom, an injury occurred. So I really think that changing your load variability, going with a very light load to just mentally feel and think about what you need to do to get that movement correct, as well as going to a very, very high load and not having movement. Just think about the control factor with that weight through your body. Um, you could do the same thing with rep variability. So if you're trying to think about muscle confusion um, to increase strength, you know, you can do five reps of a heavy load. You could also do 25 reps of a lighter load. And you're targeting different muscle fibers in that muscle that's going to make you overall a better athlete or overall in better health condition because you have the ability to do things quick, short bursts, but you can also do things for longer endurance-based activities. 
So that's another great thing to look at is, you know, if I, if I like to squat, maybe one day you're going to do 30 rep squats at a low weight that's easy, that's just burnout reps. Maybe you want to go with a variability of, I'm going to go heavy, 10 reps, take weight off, 10 more reps, take weight off, 10 more reps to where you're changing your load, you're exhausting your muscles, but you're not doing it in the sense that's going to make you so sore because of how much breakdown your muscle tissue had. When we look at all these load variabilities or rep variabilities for muscle confusion, it's all going back to a principle called SAID, S-A-I-D, Specific Adaptations to Impose Demands. If your goal is solely to bench 350, then all you need to think about is benching, benching, benching. If you're wanting to be a great offensive lineman, that requires an incredible strength in a press motion like you would with a bench press, there should be other things that you're doing that will adapt that muscle tissue to be able to not just push straight forward, but maybe you need to push forward and then to the side. Maybe you need to push up and then down to get alignment to fall on the ground so you can pancake them. It just depends and to be able to move and control in different planes of motion, like a sports related task, like an offense alignment, as opposed to just laying on a bench and pushing a set weight straight forward, there's variability between those two tasks. There is consistent muscle recruitment slash movement pattern similarities, but in terms of having to mentally control that different movement, you need to adapt to different things to do that. And I do think that changing what we look at in terms of strength training is a big uh, part of making yourself a better well-rounded athlete. Another aspect that a lot of people do do, but may not get part of this, is visual and verbal feedback. When we get tired, our body does things most efficiently. And most efficiently means the least amount of energy needed to do it. Sometimes that's a really good thing. Sometimes that's not. I had a professor that used to run 100-mile races. Uh, and as comical as this may sound, his goal when I was a student of his was to be able to run a 100-mile race in 24 hours because that came with it the prize of a belt buckle of being able to run 100 miles in 24 hours. At the time, I thought that was just the stupidest thing ever. Why would you ever want to do that? But he was a long distance runner and that's what he was into. And he would tell us that when you look at a runner, let them run for 10, 12 minutes how they normally would run and then look at them. Because once you've burned through some of your initial energy stores and you have to become more efficient with movement, that's where you can catch subtle changes or you know problems with a movement pattern. So watching yourself move in a lift or having somebody else watch and give you feedback on what they're seeing when you start a lift as opposed to your last rep when you're done with a set with a lift because your movement pattern is going to subtly change from your first two to three reps to your last two to three reps because of efficiency of movement and fatigue factors and that can be a, a great time to find out something you might be doing wrong a lot of times things we do wrong happen when we're fatigued and tired or happen when we're doing something we're not used to. Either situation can result in injury. So if you can catch something early on like, hey, you know those last two squats you did, your knees buckling in and you're shifting completely to one side to get that weight up. Over time, that problem is going to cause an injury. If you can address it and then visually start looking for it as the lifter and preventing those compensation changes, you're going to be a lot safer long term with your lifting movement patterns, as well as breaking down lift movements. So that's another thing that is becoming more popular with weight training slash football or other sports training is let's look at 
you know, important lifting movements such as a squat, a clean, a bench press, a snatch, a snatch squat. These are all multi-set movements. You're, you're using multiple joints, multiple muscles at any given time to move this kind of stuff. It's sometimes good to break down that movement in just a small portion and focus just on how my hips are moving during a hip hinge or how my weight is shifting back with my spinal positioning or how my core engagement is with a load on my back with a squat. Those kind of things, if you break them down more specifically and target strengthening aspects that work on just subtle parts of it, I'll tell you snatch and snatch squat are hard ass lifts. I hated those lifts when I was playing football because they're just physically challenging on your body. And to think about taking a barbell and lifting it from the ground over your head and keeping your arms extended standing up, that's hard to do. I mean, there's a lot of components involved with that and breaking a lift like that down and strengthening subcomponents of it is gonna allow for overall improved function with that lift and overall function improvements with sport or other training related tasks. I hope this podcast on strength training and certain aspects of strength training that get overlooked are beneficial for you. Keep lifting out there. Don't be afraid to try new things and stay healthy everybody. Until next time, take care.